Now you're on the room three, and I'm on video drum. Which one are we doing first? Oh, okay. Where's the video drum? Oh, it's in the book. Hello, and welcome to Filling in the Gaps. I'm Justin. And I'm Darren. And today we're going to be talking about one of our puzzling movies, which is called Videodrome. Videodrome is a movie from 1983 by director David Cronenberg, starring James Woods and Deborah Harry. Yeah. More famously known as Blondie. And music by Howard Shore. We've got special effects. It says Rick Baker in the credits, but then on IMDb it's just makeup effects, but still that's probably quite a lot of them. If you're not familiar with David Cronenberg, welcome. It is quite a trippy ride. Yeah. I don't I don't really know how to recommend it to people who maybe are not familiar with Cronenberg. If you've maybe seen David Lynch or yeah, I, I just don't know how to properly explain he's so much his own beast, really. I would say expect surreal, expect very unusual blurring of the lines of reality, which is a common theme, I think, in Cronenberg films. Yeah. Visually very interesting, and the story's going to be pretty out there. You've got to be kind of open-minded when you're ready to watch one of these. Uh, putting it lightly, yeah. <laughs> but would you recommend it? I would, yeah. I mean, but like you're kind of getting at there, like a certain group of people. I don't think, I don't think my parents would enjoy this. See, whereas my dad has probably already seen it and didn't tell me about this one. I don't know how this one slipped under my radar. Say, hey, mom, dad, you want to watch a movie about snuff movies? My mother would not have been into this, but my dad, like I said, he's probably already seen this one. I definitely suggest you see it if you want something very unusual. And if you've already seen it and you're listening to this just to see what we thought about it, it's like, without any spoilers, I felt that this movie was way ahead of its time. 1983. I mean, the effects are good, but even just the subject matter and, like, the way it's presented, it felt like a movie from the 90s to me. I thought, I, I was surprised when I looked it up to find out it was made in 83. Yeah, so I think that's pretty much it. If you've not seen Videodrome, well, we'll see you later after you go watch it. For everybody else, let's go to the spoilers. So, here we are. Yep. Civic 83. That's the channel. I was kind of wondering if it was 83 because they knew it was going to be released in 83, mm. or if it's just an amazing coincidence. Nothing's a coincidence in films, or maybe it is. At Civic TV, we're watching it, and an assistant video comes on, waking up Max via VHS. <laughs> <laughs> Reminds him of the date and the fact that he has a meeting. So this indicates very well what kind of character he is, how he has somebody to help him out with this mundane task of even waking up, and also that he might be so either busy or scatterbrained that he doesn't know the date, he doesn't know what he's got going on for the day. He goes to a meeting about samurai dreams, and this meeting happens in, it looks like a hotel room, but in this world that could also be an apartment. He says a very interesting thing, though. He says, show me the last episode. My viewers won't watch the first 12. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> As though in the future, because I do feel like, is this meant to be in the future? I I took it as it was meant to be in the future. I think so, yeah. yeah. But the future as envisioned by 1983. I love watching movies that predict the future, but clearly full of antiquated technology, yeah. only current technology. We're all still watching VHSs. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> we're all still smoking on TV shows. Using gigantic satellite dishes that rotate. <laughs> he takes this show back to the other executives and are debating, should it be a show? Is this pushing the envelope? Is it pushing it too much? The one guy says it's not tacky enough. The one guy, I think Max is saying it's too soft. Yeah. He wants something harder, which is going to lead into basically what Videodrome is really about. Because next he goes to see Harlan down in some basement, who is the pirate prince. Yeah. Who's good at downloading stuff or recording stuff using this large satellite. And he shows him this torture show. So it shows a woman being chained to a clay wall where he, I think in this part, another part, he says is possibly electrified. And Max is asking about the show. What is this show? We only ever get it for a minute at a time, according to Harlan. And the whole time Harlan is talking about it, he's busy doing other stuff. This becomes very important later on. Max goes on the Reva King show with Nikki Brand. So here's where we're introduced to Deborah Harry. Also via TV, Brian Oblivion, which is a very funny name. I, <laughs> I, mean, I even wrote his name down, put a question mark to it, next to it. Like, what? <laughs> like, is this for real? But I love the fact that even within this, it's so ridiculous that even Cronenberg has him say, well, that's not my given name. That's not the name I was born with. We're pretty sure. Yeah, <laughs> Mr. Oblivion. <laughs> uh, yeah, that, that that whole scene was funny, though, to me. It really reminded me of that part in the beginning of Ghostbusters 2, when Venkman's being interviewed on that psychic show. It was exactly, I don't know if it was even the same studio. It just looked identical to me. Venkman is running the psychic show. Oh, that's show. right. He's running the show, yeah. He's on the other side, yeah. But it just looked exactly the same to me. Next week, Hairless Cats. Yes. <laughs> yes. And it kills me because. I, th- I mean, maybe my memory isn't that good, but I don't remember people smoking that much on shows in the 80s. Maybe not in the 80s, no, I don't, but it definitely happened before that. Oh, it definitely happened before that. I've been watching on YouTube some old Dick Cavett interviews recently, and yeah, it's very it, normal. It was definitely days. a 60s thing. It yeah. was definitely a 60s thing. Maybe, maybe not so much a 70s thing. It just seems very odd that in the future that that would be taking place. But maybe that's because we now live in a world where... There's no cancer. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you mean in, in the future world? Yeah, of, maybe, maybe they've got a cure for cancer, so no, no, one, well, no one cares clearly anymore. clearly they don't. Yeah. But that comes up a bit later. Yeah. But it's just this whole, the future will be the same as it is now, that just cracks me up, and I'm probably going to keep mentioning that as we go through. On this show, Max has to defend his Civic 83 channel, saying that he's just giving the people what they want. So when they talk about sexual content, when they talk about violence, he's saying that it's an outlet for their fantasies and frustrations. And so it's a good thing. And he actually convinces Nikki Brand, who seems like she's going to be against it, to kind of side with him. (laughs) On the show, while Oblivion is speaking, Max basically asks her out. You can hear him (laughs) asking her out off to the side. While that's happening, though, Oblivion is going on his little rant about... It basically makes the cathode ray, which doesn't really exist anymore, Mm. but basically saying that the television is a new religion and speaks of it as though it is a new religion. And that's going to lead into 
where we see his office and where his daughter works and everything in the future. We go back to Harlan saying that the torture show is made in Pittsburgh. That is just a little tiny bit of information that becomes important later. But again, every time we see Harlan, he's always very, very busy doing something. Yeah, he's, I want to slap him though. He's like, oh, Dan, stop saying sea patroni. You sound like Baron Greenback's sidekick from Danger Mouse, you know? Still at him. Yeah. That's all I could hear when I was listening. I was like, please stop saying that, man. All I could see was yesterday. I see about on it. Oh, man. You supposed to say it like a hundred times in that movie. <laughs> Did you not notice that? Did not, not... Didn't even occur to now, me. Now you can't unhear it. <laughs> Maybe, but I've just watched it twice this week, so I'm not sure how... Soon I'm going to jump back into Videodrome, but maybe the next time I see it, yeah. it will stick out. He just seems an odd character altogether, so I kind of just ruled him out mm -hmm. as any sort of serious thought that needed to be done. Max goes to a radio station where Nikki is running her show, where she's pushing listeners to get help at... It's something else, but it spells cram. Yeah. <laughs> Basically, her show is Emotional Rescue, where people call up with emotional problems... And I assume she just keeps telling them to get professional help. It seems an odd concept for a show. Yeah, she's not giving the advice, like, what should I do? Go to a hospital. Yeah. <laughs> but we only get one call, so we don't know for sure. But that's very much what it seems like. Mm. Well, if you're calling me, then you need to get help. And I guess she would be doing that for an hour. At this point, they go back to Max's place, and they end up watching Videodrome. And it kind of turns her on. She asks to be cut. And he's like, well, I think somebody's already got there before me because she's got all these cuts on her. Now, I don't know if this is meant to be like emotional cutting or if this is meant to be something else. What did you think about that? I just thought that this was just a way for Cronenberg to make me feel uncomfortable, this whole scene. <laughs> Pain and pleasure combined is... His thing. Yeah. It's <laughs> definitely part of something that he comes back to again and again thematically in his work so it could be so i wasn't really sure what way to look at that but yeah and then it leads to a romantic piercing of ears yeah and as they're making love the room around them visually becomes the torture room got that clay wall and and it's trapped we go back to the office this is where we meet masha masha is slightly older she is trying to sell this show called Apollo and Dionysus. Basically, Max wants Videodrome. And he's like, Masha, can you get me this? And she says, but she's very cautious. Like, she says she will, but she's very cautious, saying, yeah, maybe, but are you sure this is the direction you want to go? And he says he thinks it is the future, which, like you said, maybe is a bit ahead of its time. She basically sets it up, makes a deal, and sends Max to Oblivion. She says, all I can give you is a name, Brian Oblivion. Mm. So we have to head over there. And this is where the daughter, Bianca, Oblivion also, <laughs> Bianca, I guess, <laughs> I mean, she doesn't say her name is anything different, right? And it's Oblivion's daughter. So I'm assuming it's Bianca Oblivion. Yeah. But poor people are going to this mission to watch a bit of TV. It helps them, as she puts it, get them plugged back into society in some way. It just seems so odd. This is a very odd concept, but this is why I love, but am also always perplexed by Cronenberg films. So what did you think about this? I thought this was just 
Because I, I, of course, I've got my own idea about what this movie's about, but I just felt this was a way... They've obviously got some kind of large-scale control program going on. I think this is just a way of keeping people sane, uh, I guess, and just like, imagine these, imagine all these homeless... I, I mean, if they're even homeless people, we don't really know, but imagine this is just their way of keeping their soldiers in, re- in reserve kind of thing, just keeping them topped up and in line, not over the edge and not out of their control. Throughout the scene, Max keeps referencing the fact that he likes the view, and the view is just of these poor people watching TV. Yeah. This is what he loves. It would make sense to me, well, I guess in a very easy, clear way, if they're all watching Civic 83, but we don't get that impression. So he just likes the fact that people are watching TV? I think so, yeah. I think he seems like this young, kind of a little bit naive go-getter. You know, he wants to, he wants to do something big and be something special. He's a bit dumb. But he's a har- I don't know. I don't want to say he's harmless, but he's, I mean, he's not, he's not without guilt, but he just seems a bit naive to me. Yeah. I can see that. So upstairs in the office, Max basically says, he, he gets up there by saying, oh, I was on the TV show with your father. He gets up there, says he loves the view, and she comments that he looks like one of the derelicts. I guess just the way he's dressed. But I think it's meant to be more. I think it's more in his face, in his demeanor in the fact that he is probably more addicted to the TV than all these other people. And it's at this point we find out that her father, Brian Oblivion, only contacts people via video. We go back to Max's house, he's watching Videodrome again, and he takes out a gun for no apparent reason at this point. I thought he was getting a bit paranoid by this point, though. I totally... But paranoid of what? Like, there's been no threats of any kind at this point. Um... I don't know. I can't remember now, but I didn't really write down why, but I, I, it made sense to me. He's like, oh yeah, he's, he's definitely, he was seeing stuff and, you know, he was... But barely at this point. Yeah. I kind of feel like at this point, it just needs to happen. And so that's why it's here. So this part does, to me, just stick out as I don't know what's going on. He has a very tiny apartment for somebody who seems somewhat powerful. I mean, I know Civic 83 is a tiny channel, but still, this apartment is just... I don't know if he has a bedroom. He seems to sleep in his living room. He sleeps on his couch most of the time, yeah. So, I don't even know if we ever see a bedroom. So, it makes me think that this is the entire apartment. Yeah. He's got a weird poster on his kitchen wall that looks like just TV static. This just doesn't look like a professional's apartment. And... At this point, his assistant comes, she brings some more videos, says that Nikki is not on assignment as she told him, because she was going to be on assignment at Pittsburgh. She was saying, I want to be on Videodrome. I want to audition. It'd be perfect for me. And there was that whole cigarette burning scene. Yeah, that was weird. And what do you think? Do you think he actually stubbed it out on the other one or not? I think yes. Mm. If that's what she wanted. He seemed to be willing before. It seems odd that he would stop now. Yeah. I mean, after the ear piercings? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's hard for me to think that he would turn her down. But yeah, he's been lied to. The hallucinations continue. Here's where they get serious because he imagines slapping Bridie, his assistant, and she's like, you didn't do anything. He's like, oh yeah, of course. I guess I'm not really awake yet. And she just kind of lets it go, but she's still very concerned about him. He talks about a rash, which is clearly developing on his stomach and becomes very bad very soon. But amongst the tapes is also a tape from Oblivion, which 
as he holds it and he's on his own, it's like breathing and pulsating and moving. This is where Oblivion starts talking about the mind for America will be fought in the video arena, the videodrome, and basically saying that video is the battleground of the future, which again is probably spot on. Well, especially with today's Twitter storms and internet stuff going down, yeah. He says, I think it's at this point where reality has caused a kind of video hallucination. Reality and video are becoming one. He also talks about the fact that he has a brain tumor that he is sure was caused by Videodrome. And that, sorry, buddy, you've got it now, too. If you're hallucinating, <laughs> that means you got it, too. So that's where you were talking before about they've got the cure for cancer. Well, maybe lung cancer, but not <laughs> no brain cancer. Not brain cancer yet. Yeah. See, now my notes are a little bit out of... Mm? Well, I think they're totally in order, but my brain is about out of order. I can't remember exactly how these things go into play. But there's the part that I really want to talk about here where he kind of gets sucked into the TV. Yeah. This is the ultimate, I think, Videodrome moment. This is kind of the golden moment that says this is Videodrome, where hallucination and reality kind of become one, and we're not sure exactly what's going on. And I know it's a very simple, practical effect. They basically put like a cloth that's blowing out of the screen. So it's not really a screen. It's a cloth where they're projecting onto it. And he's just putting his head into it. But he looks so good. It looks really super creepy. It's great. This, to me, something about this, and maybe it's because I'm old now, but this looks better than most CG stuff that you would try to do the same thing with. It just looks so interesting and real. Yeah, because it's real, yeah. There's something about it, yeah. There's something about all the effects in this are really good, really well done. And just it's just something that's lacking today from a lot of videos. It's just something that's gone. And I don't know why they haven't. I mean, maybe it's cheaper to use CG than to do that. I can't imagine it's cheaper than this one. (laughs) (laughs) Just personally, I think we need to be a bit discretionary. Some things would be cheaper to do real. And this is one of those. I think if you tried to CG this, you'd have to have many people working on this. This is a sheet with a projector and an empty TV. A fifth grader could do it. (laughs) In the story, Max goes back to talk to Bianca. She kind of confirms that Videodrome creates hallucinations, very well could be the source for the tumor, that her father is actually dead. You want to see my father? Here he is. And I didn't know what I was going to get because this is Cronenberg, so it could have been any Mm -hmm. sort of disgusting thing. No, it's just all these videos. This is all that's left of him. He recorded thousands and thousands of these VHS interviews that she's been sending to people. So even when he was on TV, it wasn't actually him. It was a recording that somehow fit nicely with what the host was asking. That's a point, actually. Um, It's a good job he chose the right format and didn't put everything on Betamax. Well, at the same time, she asks what format Max wants his message if her father were to contact him, and he doesn't really say. He says Videodrome, so that he could say Videodrome, but he doesn't really say. We see everything as VHS, but I have the feeling that Bianca has the power to copy onto whatever format needs to be copied. That would make sense, yeah. So she just needs to have the VHS player to plug into anything else they can record. Well, it's also the future, right? So clearly they knew VHS won out over Betamax. (laughs) She does talk about the fact that her father helped create Videodrome and he wanted to stop it. So they actually used it to kill him. 
there's a mention here of seeing life on TV as being more real, which again, I think is ahead of its time and hits a bit too hard now when we watch it. Because when you look back at this movie, which is over 30 years old now, and it was kind of warning us what was going to happen in the future, but I would not have seen the future coming from that point, from 83? Yeah. yeah. I don't know. Important point. Max goes to Harlan, asks if Harlan has been hallucinating. Harlan says, no, should I be? And Max is like, yeah, you should be. I'm like, wow, you put it together, but you didn't really put it together. <laughs> but I love this moment, actually. He's realizing something is wrong, but he just doesn't put those pieces together. He's got them all spread out on the table, but doesn't see how they connect. Because yeah, he just assumes that he's watched it because he brought Videodrome to him. So he makes an assumption there. And, it and it's a very reasonable assumption, though. Yeah. Especially because we find out that Harlan's been working for him for two years. It's not as though he just started work yesterday. Yeah, he's, he's two years of being this trusted guy. Of, and he probably, to earn that trust, has brought him many other things along the way. We now get another bit of Oblivion, where he is speaking of Videodrome creating a new organ in the brain. <laughs> and it's at this point where the line appears on Max's stomach, and then it becomes an opening. He puts his hand and the gun in, and when his hand comes out, the gun is gone. And he can't find it. He's looking around the couch, everything for it. Now we get to meet Barry Convex. Yeah. Convex, who makes lenses. <laughs> It's a great spot-on name in a movie where it doesn't take itself too seriously. Max is trying on these glasses, and Barry says, you know, be careful, those are dangerous. They're prototypes or something. I, I don't know what he was going on about. If that was meant to be serious, if it was meant to be a joke. The glasses Max ends up putting on at the end, though, are just ridiculous. <laughs> and I do agree that Barry's like, I don't think those are the one for you. And I'm like, yeah, I don't think so either. Yeah, get rid of those. At this point, Barry kind of says that he's in on everything. And they need to record these hallucinations if they're to help him out. So he puts this massive helmet on top of him, which looks really cool, but yeah. puts this massive helmet on him. So Max now has this helmet. And this is a part where I'm not sure how to take the rest of the movie. Is the rest of the movie a hallucination or is the rest of the movie reality? We never see Max take the helmet off. Right. So did you have that same thought? Yeah. He sees Nikki. He starts whipping her. She's kind of on this TV, but then he's behind the TV and we see in the front, it's not actually her anymore. It's now Masha. This is just a part where now I have no idea what's going on anymore. When it comes to Cronenberg, a lot of times if I don't get it, I just kind of let it go. I assume that there's a reason that maybe it's important to him. But so long as I'm still following the overall plot, then some of the individual images and scenes like this, I kind of just let wash over me. Yeah, because there's that point where he's whipping a TV as well. Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah. So the TV, it it goes from being Nikki to becoming Masha, and that's it. So I don't know if we're led to believe that he's actually hurting Masha in real life, or, again, if this is just all in his head. I have no idea, and I don't want to fill in that gap. <laughs> he ends up waking in a, his room, and at this point, Masha is dead in bed kind of with him, which leads me to think now... Even though I had kind of, I was let, ready to just let it wash over me, that that was important and that somehow his hallucination had become reality. Again, we don't know for sure because this whole thing could be in his head, but it's not good. He gets Harlan to come over though 
and there's nobody in the bed. But do we trust Harlan at this point? Yeah, exactly. Because he could have just been saying that. So again, not sure. Not sure. And I'm not sure if we're meant to be sure or if this vagueness is done on purpose, story-wise. They go to the office in Harlan's pirate room and Barry shows up and this is where everything falls together. And now Max understands what's going on, that they're basically trying to use him and they will use him even more because basically... Harlan, the reason he was so busy every time he was showing the video drone videos was he didn't want to watch it because he knew what would happen. He, like I said, had been working for, for two years, two wonderful years, but he's, he's part of this. Convex talks about North America going soft. They need to be tougher. TV is rotting people. And so now they want to use Max to eliminate people. Barry also wants to use Civic 83 to transmit Videodrome to the masses. But I do think it's interesting. It's this set of people. Because we know that Civic 83 is known for basically showing sexual content and violent content. So people who like that content are basically Barry's target. Yeah, so they're basically saying, like, this is our people that we're going to snag. They're not going to give it to the world at large. Otherwise, everyone would go insane. But yeah, like... This group of people, and maybe it's because they're the most susceptible to the Videodrome signal, maybe because of their disposition, you know, makes sense. They put this bloody pulsating tape into Max's slot in his stomach, his VHS-shaped <laughs> slot in his stomach, and they say it's a recording of his hallucinations. And so they're somehow using his own hallucinations to control him. Max starts to get subliminal commands from Barry, you need to kill this person, and he pulls the gun out of his stomach. But now the gun is bloody and disgusting, and there's this beautiful Rick Baker scene of the gun attaching itself to the guy's hand. That was awesome. The, <laughs> the one part where clearly they needed the, the hand to look like things were going into it, that was clearly a much bigger hand for this <laughs> special effect. And I thought that they would just keep that up. But then when you see him holding the gun later, they don't have the giant hand anymore, which is a little disappointing, but probably much easier for James was to walk around with. (laughs) They basically, I guess, target one is kill Bianca. It's at this point that Max starts repeating some of the things that he said at their first meeting. Bianca says Nikki is dead, that they've been using her image to seduce Max, and that Videodrome is death. But I don't know at what point they're saying Nikki is dead. Like, has she been dead the whole time? Or has she only been dead as long as the Pittsburgh trip that she supposedly took? I think I thought that. So she was real at one point. I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure. I mean, and that's the thing, like you're saying, there's really, you can't make a 100% accurate comment on anything in this movie, pretty much. But yeah, that's the one I'm going with. I'm going with she was alive. And then when she went to Pittsburgh, you know, maybe she's not dead. And they're just telling her that she's dead. But I'm guessing she is now. There's a gun hand that stretches out of TV and shoots Max, and it eats... Oh, well, it ejects Max's tape. Now he is free, and he's on his own, and he can choose what he wants. Max is now video word made flesh, as they put it. Bianca wants Max to now destroy Videodrome, and she says, long live the new flesh. There's a weird part where Max is now in the street, and there's this man in the street talking about his dancing monkey, but it's really the TV. And he's like, I've got to feed the dancing monkey. So I guess he has to pay for cable or a TV tax or something. Or he's listening and he thinks he's got a monkey, but he doesn't. We go into spectacular 
Optical, Barry's store, which is now full of customers. And Harlan is wrapping a box in the back. And <laughs> there's a line here, what's in the box? Which, of course, that was well ahead of its time. <laughs> but he says, oh, it's your head. There's something stupid like that. But he goes to put a tape into Max because Max is pretending he's on his side. And when he pulls out his hand, it's just what I thought it was just a bloody stump, but it's actually a bloody grenade. Yeah. Right. And so he ends up back against the wall and exploding. We now we go to one of the weirdest things, which is it's in a, in a movie like Videodrome. I don't know why, but this is the part that seemed the weirdest, which is this song and dance number for glasses at this like glasses convention. <laughs> and this is probably something that really happens. But this seemed the most kind of surreal and weird thing. I just thought it was a fashion show. Uh, I didn't see it as... Well, it could have been a glass fashion show, yeah, yeah. I guess. But it just seems so <laughs> weird to me. Maybe it's just the fact that Barry happens to be up there. Mm. But they're going to be selling the new Medici line of glasses. And basically, Max shoots him. But after he shoots him, Barry mutates in a weird way. I didn't know what to make of that. It just seemed odd. Yeah. That's um, it, is it? That's it, oh. yeah. <laughs> Max goes to some abandoned boat, but I don't know why. When he's there, Nikki's on TV, and she says she can help. She can help him get to his next phase of transformation, but it's going to require something of him. It shows a video of him shooting himself by a fire. Suddenly, there's a fire, and he kills himself exactly like he did on the TV, just after saying, long live the new flesh. That's the end. Yeah. So... One thing I do want to say before I forget it, I think it's amazing that this movie has only like two minutes and 12 seconds of credits <laughs> because no movie has two minutes of credits anymore. They all have to be so long. So I don't know if in those days not everybody was getting their name up that probably should be or if just the technology was so much smaller and contained. But I did appreciate that fact that, wow, that's less than a song. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, that's it. It's like the bit at the end with the tape and the fire and the shooting himself. It's the Queen of Diamonds, basically, from the Manchurian Candidate. Have you not seen the Manchurian Candidate? Oh, man, I've got a big bit I want to say about that, but I can't tell you now. <laughs> 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 and I've probably ruined the movie for you. Yeah, this movie. Um, well, there goes that. Delete all that. <laughs> Let me ask you this. Do you think he does actually transform? No, I mean, here's the thing. It's like, there's two ways that you can look at it, and it's done on purpose, I guess. What what one way is, so you can go down the route that it's just all hallucination, and it's just all craziness and Cronenberg weirdness, or this is a way to, to brainwash people into murdering people. They're basically creating assassins. It's it, it could be some kind of government conspiracy plot to like create these people that don't even know what's real, what's not real, and take out people, hit targets that are given to them via radio... Uh, not radio waves, but take out people given to them via, you know, VHS tapes, like just subliminal messages. By the end of the movie, that's what I took from it. I was like, oh, it's basically that. All the kind of hallucination stuff is just there to make us think that it's a hallucination for the most part. But by the end, I was like, nah, I think it's real, but we were seeing it through his eyes. And that's how he saw it. He saw it as a big mass hallucination. But no, he was definitely there to take out people. Do you think it's possible that they were trying to say he did transform and by transforming, he became this movie. That's an interesting point. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Why not? Why? I mean, that's probably the biggest one I've got, and that's 
my kind of feeling in the gaps. I'm not sure what happens. And there's a part of me that's not even sure Cronenberg knows what's happened. I, I do think that he leaves some things particularly and specifically vague. Definitely. He wants it to be vague. And maybe that's why we never see Max take the helmet off, even though I think he does. My personal feeling is he does take it off that they do use that tape that they recorded to control him. I want to see it as much as the story is telling me is true. I want to take as much of that to be true as possible and to keep going with that. But I like this concept that somehow he does transform and he becomes this movie, which is a warning to the rest of us. Yeah, and I think Cronenberg likes that idea as well because he takes it even one step further in existence. Like. Yeah. Which I would like to do as well because yeah, I, I saw I saw Existence before I saw it. I think I think I've seen this movie before, like way back. But I didn't remember it, and I was probably too young to probably freak me out when I was a kid. But watching this, I was like, "Oh wow, yeah!" You can see totally see where he got the ideas from Existence from, or just exploring the same themes over again, but in a more modern setting. Yeah, interesting. But now CIA plot: kill some guys, kill yourself at the end. Loose ends wrapped up. Done. That's why. And that's fine. I think this is part of why I like Videodrome. I love the special effects. I love the fact that it's very surreal, but there is this through story that helps me keep watching and even watch it a second time. And I was happy to watch it a second time. And I could certainly see when I want this kind of movie, which there aren't that many of, not that many good ones, at least, that I would come back to this one again. So there's just something about this movie that works for me, but I can't completely explain why and it's short too we had this conversation before where we had we were thinking like yeah in the 80s all movies were 90 minutes and we found out no that's totally not the case i was thinking most were about two hours but an hour and 27 minutes including the credits including your two minutes of credits yeah (laughs) yeah it does a lot in that amount of time and it's perfect the story never feels like it's dragging you know because everything is just there he hasn't fleshed it out to two hours or padded it to two hours just because that's what's normal. And he's like, no, nope, this is a 90 minute movie. We're done here. And that's why I would like to come back to more Cronenberg in the future. I think that it leads to discussion. It leads to interesting visuals. And I don't know. It's just something that makes me want to see more. Good director, but not a great actor. <laughs> we don't need to talk about that. <laughs> gaps filled and more gaps created. next time. Today, we're going to be discussing a puzzle game of the point-and-click variety. We're going to be discussing four last things. You are a guy, and... Oh, great. That's very specific. (laughs) As far as art style, it is very classic in the fact that it's... It's free. Yeah, I mean, it's very, would you agree, it's very Monty Python in a, in a sense, in those little middle sketch bits, like. Oh, certainly. Like, this is very Gilliam animation style where he took other things and used them to animate bits of story. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Spoiler warning, you're going to hear a lot about him, I assume. <laughs> I'll try and lay off the art history lesson. You know it's coming. He though. won't. Yeah. <laughs> All this and more on the next episode of Filling in the Gaps.